Happy New Year, everyone. Praise God for his faithfulness. Man, I'm so happy to be here with you all this morning to worship God, to be thankful for what he's done, to look forward to what he will do. He is always faithful. Amen? Amen. So as you can see, we're back into the book of Hebrews this morning. I want to share about my past week with you since last Sunday when I saw you all. Just so you know, my name is Robert. I'm not the, the senior pastor. In fact, I'm not a pastor of the church. I, uh, I just uh, I, I serve the church through music. Um, but uh, this morning, our senior pastor, uh, who is uh, the normal preacher teacher at the church, just had a baby. So it's, uh, it's a privilege to give him uh, some rest, to spend time with his family. So pray for Ryan and beautiful little London. And we're just so thankful for God's grace in your, your family and the way you serve us so well. Now, uh, changing gears just a, just a hair, I want to share about two things that, uh, that I came across this past week. Uh, two articles. Now, it's not unusual for me to be reading articles. I, I read a lot. Um, but there were two articles in particular that as I, as I was reading through it, a gravity, a heaviness started to set in on me. If I'm bef- and if I'm honest, honestly, if I'm honest before my family this morning, I would say it even brought a sense of uh, real fear in- in- into, my, in- into my, my world. Fear about oncoming persecution that the church will face globally. We know that Christianity is already the most persecuted religion in the world, but we often don't think about persecution when we think of here at home. When we think of the West, Western countries, we often think of religious freedom, religious tolerance, and don't consider what persecution or hostility for one for their beliefs in God could bring. But I think there could be a change in the tide. So let me share these two articles with you. My goal, frankly, my hope is not to ignite a sense of fear. That is not what I'm doing right now. I don't want you to leave here uh, either fearful or worse, angry. That's not my goal this morning, but we'll get more into that in just a second. Let me share these articles with you. The first article that I came across was about a 45-year-old Christian woman that lives in Birmingham, UK. You may have heard this story also. Her name was Isabella, and she was charged, arrested and charged on four accounts as she was standing outside of an abortion facility. Now, you hear that, and you may be thinking, like I did, what, was this a radical protester? Was she shouting at women going in to get abortions or workers there? Was she damaging their property? No, that isn't the case. In fact, she was praying silently off of their property while the facility was closed. She was considered by the police to be a threat to the public. Let me remind you what she was doing, praying silently off of the grounds. They come by and they arrest this woman who has been doing this weekly for 20 years as a ministry to save the lives of babies, and her praying is considered a threat to society. Not the murdering of babies, but prayer. This happened about a month ago, less than a month ago. She was arrested, interrogated in in a jail cell for four hours, and dropped off in the middle of the night 
12 miles away from her car with no safe way for her to return home or to her vehicle. Now that's in the UK. Another article I came across this week hits a little more home here in Colorado to be specific. Anti-discrimination laws in Colorado are heating up against Christians in particular. The Colorado LGBTQ plus civil rights community has the church set in their crosshairs. Among many law cases that have been ongoing in our state for many years, some that you may be familiar with, expect to see more, we're told. Our objections to same-sex marriage is considered bigotry. It's considered hate speech. And they plan on prosecuting. This means Christian homes and schools, Christian ministries that hold to a biblical view of identity and marriage will face serious pushback from our government. We are told to get in line with what the state considers morally lawful concerning homosexual marriage, concerning gender identity. They, they warn us, well, they tell us, persecution is coming for Bible-believing Christians. Now, my initial sense of fear, or um, maybe I should say, uh, maybe a deep concern might be a better way of saying it, um, is, not, is not this. It's not that I'm afraid or concerned that the church of Jesus Christ will crumble under any sense of persecution. I don't believe that for a second. Our theology, our word, tells us that that's not the case. My fear or my concern as a leader in a church, as a husband, as a father, is a little different. My concern is, is that do we have a ready faith for such a persecution? Are we prepared for if things get hard for what we believe? Because when persecution comes, we will have to make a choice. The question that I expect we will be faced with in the near future is this. How do we remain faithful in the face of governmental persecution? Or let me word it a different way. Maybe this is more honest. How do we remain faithful when we have a real fear of our government that hates us because of our faith? Our text this morning, as we return to the series uh, of Hebrews, considers the faith of Moses, a faith that was unafraid of real threats from the strongest kingdom on earth during his lifetime, Egypt. So let's stand and honor God through the reading of his word together. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table. Um, that's yours. That's a gift from us to you. Please take it. I'd love to see that table empty at the end of the service. We're going to start uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 23, and go to verse 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him 
who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. You may sit. Now, let me remind you quickly that the author of Hebrews is addressing a Christian community that's facing persecutions on multiple fronts. All right, two big ones. First, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was persecution, per- persecuting hard the Christian faith because they would not bow the knee to Caesar, a king that is, was deified in their time. Another front of persecution on the church was from the religious Jewish culture that they were raised in. They're being persecuted for false worship, for denying the, the Old Testament priesthood, for denying the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, the original audience of the book of Hebrews is in the heat of persecution, and they wonder if they should turn back to the old ways. Is Jesus worth it? Is all of this persecution worth it? In many ways, life would be easier if they would just deny their faith. But he, Hebrews chapter 11 is a great encouragement to the original audience and to us today. It's a gallery of faithful men and women who demonstrate faith in amazing ways. Ways that are not so different from the way that we can demonstrate faith in our own lives today. Let me remind you, you can just look back to uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen, For by it, by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. How does one receive commendation from God today? By by faith. How do people of old receive commendation from God? By faith. Faithfulness. We're told that faith is the assurance of things, the conviction of things. What are these things that the writer's talking about? Well, they're not things we we can hold necessarily but they're promises from a real God, truths that we can know, repent of the world, and follow. He says that faith are things hoped for, a future reality, a real reality that's set in our future. Forgiveness through Christ and citizenship into heaven. True forgiveness, true citizenship. More on that in just a moment. Our passage this morning depicts four moments in the life of Moses that demonstrates faith in the face of governmental persecution. This letter is without doubt pastoral in nature. It seeks to care for the troubled hearts of its recipients. We today will learn that through the life of Moses, what it takes to live with a lifelong faith that perseveres under real persecution. Each of these moments begin with the wording, by faith, and they will make up our four points this morning. These examples are as follows. One, a faith that is modeled, if you're taking notes. Two, a faith that is chosen. Three, a faith that is followed. And four, a faith that worships continually. A faith that worships continually. So let's jump into the first point, a faith that is modeled. The faithfulness 
of godly parents. Amen? Come on now. Let's go. Verse 23, let's read it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. A little background. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, I'll summarize it for the sake of time. The Hebrews are in Egypt at this time. They went down there. They followed Joseph. God prospered them greatly. And over generations, the pharaohs saw how great the Hebrew community was becoming. So fear sets in. Will this group of people, this large group of people who seem to be prosperous, one day rise up against me? Will they try to take the throne from me? Will they try to make us less and them greater? What I'll do is I'll make them our slaves. I'll humble them. I'll persecute them. And he does this. Guess what God does? He blesses the Hebrews even more, and they become more fruitful. That's how God responds under persecution of his people. So now the Pharaoh is even perturbed more greatly, and he's looking at these people and says, all right, what can I do that will truly get at the heel and, and wipe out these people? How can I really cripple the Hebrew people? I'll take away the men. Every newborn baby boy is to be killed. If you have a boy, toss him into the Nile. This is the time that Moses was born, right in this time. We're told that his parents hid him for three months, and we're said that it's by both parents, not just the mother. Both parents believed in God. Both parents feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Why three months, I asked myself? Well, that's about as long as you can hide a baby before people realize what's going on under the blanket. <laughs> now, Moses, we know, has uh, an older sister, Miriam, if you remember the story well. We also know that he has an older brother who must have been born before this edict happened. So his parents need to consider the safety of their other children. But why hide Moses? Why risk anything at all for this child? Well, we're told that the baby has, was beautiful. Now, this could be an outward beauty. They looked and saw through the eyes of parents with love and said, this baby's beautiful. That's what every parent says of their child. I think that's a good thing that we, we think our children are beautiful. But I don't think that's what it's saying. I think rather it's saying that it's more than an outward appearance. I think that they were given spiritual eyes to see that God had a grand plan for this child's life. God made him beautifully set apart. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first deacon, gives us, all, gives us more information, and we'll, we'll go back to him a few times throughout the sermon, where he says that it, the baby wasn't beautiful in the eyes of his parents, but he says that Moses was beautiful in God's sight. We know that God doesn't look at outward appearance, though. Rather, God looks at the heart. He looks at the inward person, and God saw that Moses had a heart prepared for faith. We know that by what we read this morning. So where they did not fear the king, meaning that they would not simply kill their son. In Exodus 2, Moses' mom makes a plan. She'll, she'll build a little basket, and she'll put her baby in it, and, and she'll make a an ark to save him from the water and she'll place it specifically in this spot because she knows that this is where people come to bathe. And I'll have my daughter go and watch from afar to make sure everything's okay. 
And God does something awesome. Pharaoh's daughter comes out. She, she hears the baby. She has mercy on the baby. She goes, grabs the baby, and she does something even more fascinating, more amazing. She says, I want you to be my son. What a soft heart for a woman who has everything. And he says, but I can't nurse this baby. I want to care for it. Go grab one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby. By God's providence on full display, guess what Hebrew woman came to nurse this child? Moses' own mother. During this time in Hebraic culture, you can nurse anywhere from six months up to five years. Now, we don't know how long she nursed him, but I can imagine during that time, Moses was instilled with a God-fearing worldview, that he was instilled with stories of faith, of Abraham and the, the great works of Joseph in Egypt, God taking him from slavery to second in command of this kingdom that he was born into, and how God will deliver his people from this land to a home not made by human hands, but made and designed by the hand of God, we're told. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The faithfulness in the face of fear is a demonstration, church, to Moses, who would one day also fear God over Pharaoh. This fearlessness wasn't from an anarchist heart. They weren't trying to stick it to the man. No, not at all. Their fear was replaced by faith, for by faith they acted. Now, faith is not hereditary, church. It is not passed on through bloodlines, but the beauty of faith can be shared through a faithful testimony. Amen? I need amen. Let's do it. It's a testimony. It's a, it's a gospel seed that can be planted that only God alone can, can grow that seed to fruition, a life of faithfulness. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that parents, your faithfulness is not in vain. That's an encouragement to me. Well, maybe some of you aren't parents, and you're like, all right, well, the first point's not for me. No, the first point is for you, church. Listen, college students, Single adults, adults without children, your faithfulness is not in vain. These young people sitting around us are watching us more than any of us know. Let us train up a child in the right way to go, in the way of faith. Point two, faith is chosen. Moses made a choice who he would follow. Let's go to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he is looking to the reward. When Moses was grown up, we're told, we're now talking about his faith, not the faith of his parents. Moses was weaned and went back into the courts of Pharaoh and was adopted as a grandson to the king. He would have grown up with the most decadent lifestyle, stuff Instagram pretends to be. He would have had the most wealth, the best possessions, the best education. He would have had more than enough food, thanks to Joseph, and he would have had a secure future. 
everything a parent wants for their child. At age 40 years old, we're told in Acts 7, again, thank you, Stephen, Moses makes a decision. Moses made an educated decision. He refuses something and chooses another thing. Well, what does he refuse? Well, more than meets the eye. In addition to the status and wealth that he had of growing up in the royal court, consider this. He also gives up a family to choose another. Moses would have been a member of Pharaoh's family for 35 years, or maybe more. He's giving up dreams he had for years of maybe being an official in his grandfather's court. Depending on how many children Pharaoh had, depending on how many children Pharaoh's daughter had, maybe, and this is speculation, he could have looked and thought, maybe I'm in line to be Pharaoh myself. But we're told he refused. We're told that he refused the fleeting pleasures of sin. How long has Moses been dabbling in the fleeting pleasures? How long did Moses dabble in pagan worship with his royal family? Well, we know that Moses most likely experienced it all. And he had enough of the fleetingness of it all. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king? What did Moses choose then if he refused all of these amazing things? Simply put, what Moses chose was mistreatment and reproach. Who chooses mistreatment and reproach? Church, who chooses this when they have the world? A person who has everything in their hands, who chooses mistreatment and reproach, is not someone who has their eyes on their hands. It's not someone who has their eyes even on this world. It's someone who has their eyes on something even greater. A city that God has made. By refusing Pharaoh in the Egyptian kingdom, Moses chose a different king and a different kingdom. Now, we can't choose the kingdom of God, and this is, this is an encouragement to you, church, as we consider, should I be at church? Should I go to church? Is it that important? Should I be among God's people? Is it really that important? I mean, it's kind of inconvenient sometimes. We love to sleep. We love to stay up on Saturday night. Do I, I mean, I have Jesus. Do I really need to go to church too? Well, you can't choose the kingdom of God without choosing to be a citizen of that kingdom. There is no kingdom of God without the citizens of that kingdom. So Moses chose to be counted among God's people. From the world's perspective, this is foolishness. This is throwing your life away. But from faith's perspective, this is wisdom, and this is actually gaining life. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt. What is this reproach? I think this is where our writer is making a contextual connection for our readers. I believe what he's saying is that you are reproached for the sake of Christ. Christ was reproached for your sake. Christ identifies with your reproach. All those who choose Christ, Christ will never forsake him. Moses considered that reproach that he would face for God worth it. He made a choice. It was God's covenant people. His eyes were taken from Egypt, the Egyptian palace and set place on the future reward, we're told. God would one day bring his people out of slavery and into the promised land. I hope that for us. He had his eyes set on the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I hold that promise for us. Not for some earthly kingdom, but for a heavenly one. Let's move on to point three, a faith that follows. Moses set his eyes on the true leader and then followed. So we see a faith demonstrated for him. We see a faith that was chosen. And now we see a faith that follows. In verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king, not the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Now, if you know the story of Moses, there's two times that Moses left Egypt, right? The first time he left, he was wanted for murder. I don't think that this is what we're talking about. I actually think it's talking about the second time that Moses left, what we call the Exodus. Thank you again to Stephen in Acts 7. We're told that Moses is now 80 years old. Again, by faith doesn't fear, but he endured. Meaning, faith is not momentary. Endured, that word is important here. It means to persevere. It means not stopping. It means keep going. As my football coach used to tell me, get your eyes on the goal line, Keep moving your legs and don't stop until you hear the whistle. As we persevere, we also set our eyes on the correct destination, church. Our destination is invisible. This is where our faith comes in. The Hebrew author says, as you are persecuted, as you are put in jail, as your property is plundered, keep your faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. Your faith will give you the spiritual sight. Your faith will give you understanding beyond this temporal world. Our goal is eternal and everlasting. How can one be afraid of a man-king when one knows the one who holds all things? How can you be afraid of a man when you know the one who holds the man together by the word of his power? We're told that Moses endured as seeing him. His faith gave Moses confidence to endure as his eyes were set on God. See, our faith does that for us. It gives us spiritual sight. It gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding. Our faith makes us wise in fearful circumstances. Let me say that again. That's important. Our faith makes us wise 
in fearful circumstances. Without faith in a fearful circumstances, you do whatever you can to preserve yourself. You do whatever you can, whatever you think is right in the moment. But in a fearful circumstance, when one has faith, they have wisdom beyond this world, something that Spurgeon calls sanctified common sense. And what is awesome about faith, church, stay with me for just a second, faith can do what unbelief can't dream of. What do I mean by that? Well, with faith, there are places that you can go only with faith because our plans are not God's plans. The Bible has shown us that faith has led God's people through a split sea to even walking on top of water. The important thing in both of these situations, we're told, is the same thing. That as they walked through the water, Moses' eyes were set on him. And as Peter walked on top of the water, his eyes were set on Christ. Who is at the other end of your faithful vision? Your faith will take you places that unbelief can't dream of. Point four, a faith that worships continually. How do we keep our faith in the midst of persecution? We worship continually. Moses and God's people kept the Passover. Verse 28, um, yeah, verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Please turn to Exodus chapter 12. I do think that it's worth reading and reminding ourselves of what this first Passover was all about. So turn to Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Let me remind you that this scene this is, we're, taking, we're going back now to the 10th and final plague. This is the final night that Moses and his Hebrew people were to spend in the shadow of Pharaoh, the very last night. And this is what God says to Moses. He says this. We're going to read 14 verses. So follow along. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Well, today is the beginning of months for us. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. God wants everyone involved. You can't afford a lamb? Go to your neighbor. You can't afford a lamb, buy your neighbor a lamb. He wants all of his people worshiping. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and uh, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire. With the unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. 
It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Where we get the, the word Passover. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. And I will strike the land of Egypt. Last verse. The days, or this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. A statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. They took the blood, they spread it on their door frames in faith that the blood would spare them the judgment of God. They trusted in the blood to give them life. Imagine Moses on this last night warning people the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. Be ready. Who can stop God? Pharaoh, with his hard heart, didn't fear God. He didn't heed this warning judgment. Pharaoh, unlike Moses, made a choice too. The kingdom of this world. He chose to reproach Christ. Pharaoh scorned the blood. But for God's people, it was their only hope. See, faith in God's word is protection from God's coming wrath. <laughs> Imagine Noah, right? Build a boat. <laughs> right here? <laughs> Make it real big. I'm on dry land. <laughs> Build a boat. They're laughing at me. Warn them of the judgment. They're scorning you. The judgment rain will come. And in faith, the ark saved Noah and his family. For this is the Lord's Passover, we're told, a memorial to be kept for generation, a practice of worship for generation. It's a, it's a visible pledge, one you can see with a promise attached to it. Do this and live. Be faithful and inherit the promise. There's something about corporate worship that emboldens our faith, right? When we gather together to worship God, just as God calls us to do, we are encouraging one another in their faith. Hebrews 10, as we went over a few months ago, told us to not neglect gathering together, but to encourage one another. So here we have it, four snapshots of Moses' life, infancy through exodus, Demonstration that one's faith is greater than the fear of the world when our eyes are set on God. How can we remain faithful under persecution? Well, two of the points were about community and two were about personal faith. Be a part of a community that models faith. Honor those who model faith. Honor those who went before you. Be your parents or your elders or the person sitting next to you right now. Worship continually. It will embolden and encourage you. As we face persecution, do not neglect to meet together. If we can't meet here, 
we will meet somewhere else. Choose today who you will serve. Will you serve the kingdoms of this world because it's maybe more convenient right now? Or will you choose the reproach of Christ? And will you follow God into the midst of the unknown? Now, I'm aware that if someone preaches on fear and faith, there can be a reaction that's normal, but nonetheless wrong. I say times are changing, persecution's coming, specifically from our government, and maybe from some of us, if you're like me, your reaction is to stand and get angry. We must defend this house, is the battle cry in my heart. I ask you, I encourage you, and I pray that instead of feeling fear of persecution, or instead of fearing, feeling angry at the potential of future persecution, I say, prepare yourself for joy within your persecution. Very different. Jesus says in John 15, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This is from the Lord Jesus. They will persecute you, our God says. Please pay attention, church. How will you respond? Prepare yourself for suffering. Suffering, we know, is a part of this fallen world, period. The righteous and unrighteous, the faithful and unfaithful, experience suffering. But hear this. Persecution is the willingness to accept suffering for God's glory. It's quite different. You will receive suffering. What suffering will you choose? Will you choose to be, will you choose to suffer for righteousness' sake, for God's glory, or for your own? Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't that sound like Moses? Don't you hear Moses in that? He was looking to the reward, the kingdom of heaven, we're told. So we learned from Moses, faith in God is greater than fear of man. May we follow his footsteps. May we follow his example. And consider being reproached by the world for our love for Jesus, greater than all its wealth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your life-giving word. It truly is life-giving. We have no understanding apart from you. You are the source of all good, and you will keep yours to the very end and forever. Keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. May Calvary Redeeming Grace be a beacon of light that never bows the knee. I pray for all of us here this morning that we do not fear the unknown, that we do not fear a brewing storm. We have God on our side. Instead of fear, I pray that we see it as our time to move, God, to walk into the persecution, proclaiming Christ, that we may win even one more Think of Christ on the cross as he's being crucified by his enemies. He asks for forgiveness on them. May we 
live in the, the light of Christ in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.